Hey everyone, welcome back to Daily Gospel Exegesis, the podcast produced by Logical Bible Study. We're all about helping you understand the Bible better as Catholics, and in particular, we're focusing on the literal sense of Scripture. What did the Gospel reading mean in its original context? Uh, What do the words mean? What are the various social and linguistic factors that we need to take into account when we look at this text? So we're really studying the Bible as a text. We're looking at the literal sense. And the Catholic Church teaches that if we want to take the Bible seriously, that's where we must start with the literal sense. So that's our goal in this podcast, to get at the literal sense. Today's reading at Mass is Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 18. Here's the reading for today. After the wise men had left, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother with you, and escape into Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, because Herod intends to search for the child and do away with him. So Joseph got up, and, taking the child and his mother with him, left that night for Egypt, where he stayed until Herod was dead. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realised that he had been outwitted by the wise men, and in Bethlehem and its surrounding district, he had all the male children killed who were two years old or under, reckoning by the date he had been careful to ask the wise men. It was then that the words spoken through the prophet Jeremiah were fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, sobbing and loudly lamenting. It was Rachel weeping for her children refusing to be comforted because they were no more. So many of you would probably know this passage. It's read around Christmas time, and we're dealing here with what's often called the slaughter of the innocents. It's when uh, Joseph and Mary and Jesus escape to Egypt in order to avoid Herod killing Jesus when he kills all the other boys in Bethlehem. So let's start by thinking about the context. What's happened just before this? So, just before this, the Magi have visited Jesus, and if you want to hear that reading, which leads straight into this one, you can hear that on the Epiphany of the Lord. So, every year we have the Feast of the Epiphany, and you can hear that passage at the start of Matthew chapter 2. What we're going to hear in today's section is Matthew's Gospel is going to get quite sober, but still he's going to highlight how all of the events here are part of God's redemptive plan. And in today's passage, verses 13 to 18, we're going to see the same time period covered from two different perspectives. So first, we're going to see uh, what the Holy Family does in this time period, and then we're going to see what King Herod does in that same time period. So starting at verse 13, after the wise men had left, so this sets the scene for us, what's the timing here? There's lots of debate amongst scholars about what the actual date is, how old Jesus is. The timing here involving the wise men and Herod, it's a bit uncertain. We can't be sure. But the most likely scenario goes like this. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and then Mary and Joseph go up to Jerusalem after 40 days for the presentation in the temple, and that's described in Luke's gospel. And then they probably return to Bethlehem to remain with their relatives. Often we think that they would have gone back to Nazareth straight away, but in all likelihood they went back to Bethlehem, which is where Jesus was born, and it's where some of Joseph's relatives were. So he spends some time in Bethlehem, and then a few months later, the wise men visit. 
So the wise men almost certainly didn't get there on the night that Jesus was born. It seems that they saw the star in the sky around the time Jesus was born, but then they had to travel to go and find Jesus, which could have taken some months. So the best estimate we have is the wise men arrive to see Jesus when he's a couple of months old. But now the wise men have left by this point in the narrative. So Jesus is a few months old at this point, it seems. Now Matthew says the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now this angel is not named. It could be Gabriel actually, because we know Gabriel is very active around this time, but he's not named in Matthew's gospel. This is the second time an angel has spoken to Joseph in a dream. Why does the angel appear to Joseph at this point rather than Mary? It's because Joseph is the head of the family and he's responsible for their well-being. So the angel appears to him and gives him instructions of how he needs to keep the holy family safe. Here's what the angel says to Joseph in a dream. So he's having a vision while he's asleep. The angel says to him, get up, take the child and his mother with you and escape into Egypt. So the angel basically says, get up straight away, get out of town. And he says, go to Egypt. Why does he say go to Egypt? Well, there was a Jewish community in Egypt, so there were Jews in there, and Joseph probably had relatives to stay with, particularly in Alexandria. We know that at this time, there were some Jews living in Alexandria. So the angel is basically telling Joseph to get his family away from Herod. So if they go to Egypt, that's no longer in Herod's jurisdiction. It's still under the Roman rule, but it's not under Herod's jurisdiction, so they'll be relatively safe there for a while. The angel says to Joseph, stay there until I tell you. So we have this image of the angels protecting the holy family every step of the way. Stay there until I tell you because Herod intends to search for the child and to do away with him. A better translation of that would be to destroy him. So here we learn that Herod the Great, the king of this this part of Israel, because of his position of authority, he believed himself to be the king of the Jews. That was a title he gave himself, king of the Jews. Now, the wise men have just arrived in the earlier part of Matthew, and the wise men told Herod, the king of Israel, that a new king of the Jews has been born. That's one of the titles of Jesus. And so Herod learns from the wise men that this supposed king of the Jews has been born. Obviously, Herod is not very happy with that. We know from history that King Herod is a fairly mean guy. He does not like rivals to the throne. He kills some of his wives and some of his own children because he fears that they would take the throne from him. So he's actually quite a cruel leader. So he he hears news from the wise men that there's another king of the Jews that's been born and the angel perceives that that's going to be a problem for Jesus. Herod is going to try and kill Jesus. So the angel warns Joseph and says, get out of town. Verse 14, so Joseph got up and taking the child and his mother with him, left that night for Egypt. So they're left straight away. The very night that he gets the vision, he gets out of town straight away. So from this, we learn that Joseph is a man of action. He's not just the one who carries the, you know, in all the postcards, he carries the lantern to gently help them. Well, he's actually a man of action, at least in a certain sense. From this, some scholars think that It can't be that Joseph is an old man. If he's able to get up in the middle of the night and leave straight away, he can't be an old man. I don't think that's a conclusive argument. I think that old men can do that if required. But certainly there is some debate about how old Joseph is. And he's not necessarily an old grandpa age. So they leave Bethlehem and they go to Egypt. That is a very long trip. 
it's probably about 320 miles or 512 kilometers. That is a long trip. This would involve, for the Holy Family, they're going to be on foot for six weeks of walking to get to Egypt. Keep in mind they have a young child with them. This is not an easy journey. They travel a long way, six weeks on foot, to get away from Herod. Verse 15, it says, They stayed there until Herod was dead. So Matthew here skips ahead a bit. Obviously, the Holy Family stayed in Egypt for a while until Herod was dead. When did Herod die? Well, history... We're not entirely sure from history. There's conflicting dates. Most recent scholars now say that Herod died in about 2 BC or 1 BC. From that, it appears that Jesus was probably born in late 3 BC or early 2 BC. Uh, About 20 years ago, scholars had different ideas. They would have said that Jesus was born in 6 BC or something like that. But the most recent scholarship says, and this is actually quite in line with what the early church fathers said, Jesus was born in late 3 BC or early 2 BC. From all of this, we can gather that Mary and Joseph and Jesus stayed in Egypt until Jesus was about two years old. So he's in Egypt for most of the first two years of his life. And then Matthew has this editorial comment. He says, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet I called my son out of Egypt. So Matthew here quotes from the Old Testament, from Hosea 11 verse 1, which says, I called my son out of Egypt. And Matthew here sees this verse from Hosea as being fulfilled in what happens here with Jesus. This is the classic textbook example of how the New Testament writers use Old Testament passages in surprising ways. If you ever study Uh, the New Testament at university level, particularly if you study under some critical or progressive scholars, they will talk about how Matthew in particular uses Old Testament passages in weird ways. Because in context, I called my sound out of Egypt, that's from Hosea 11 verse 1. In context, it has nothing to do with the Messiah. It doesn't appear to be a messianic prophecy at all. In context, in Hosea 11, It's talking about how God brought Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus. So it's looking back on the Exodus and God says, I called my son out of Egypt. So who's his son? It's Israel. It was not largely considered to be a messianic prophecy. But Matthew here is inspired by the Holy Spirit to see that actually it is. It's a prophecy. It's a passage of scripture that operates on multiple levels. It's fulfilled in multiple ways. Matthew is not manipulating the text. Some critical scholars say that Matthew is being quite manipulative here to serve his own purposes. He's not manipulating the text. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's trying to show his readers that the history of Israel is being recapitulated in the Messiah. Jesus deliberately does things, and God deliberately sets things up so that there'll be aspects of Jesus' life which recapitulate, which reenact Israel's own history. So this prophecy that we see here from Hosea, which Matthew now quotes as being fulfilled, it's kind of, it's a recapitulation, sort of how, it's similar to how Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness. Well, that recapitulates the 40 years of wilderness wanderings that the Israelites had and various other things that happen over 40 days in the Old Testament. Jesus recapitulates Israel's history and he does that here. So just as Israel spends time in Egypt in the Old Testament, here Jesus spends time in Egypt. Verse 16, it says, Herod was furious, or more literally, in a furious rage. He is very angry. And history does confirm that Herod was known for having a great temper. 
history tells us he murdered his favorite wife and his sons because he was afraid they might supplant him, particularly as he's getting older. This is towards the end of his life. History indicates that he got quite paranoid and he got quite angry. Just to put it in perspective about the kind of person Herod uh, was, he was worried as he got closer to his death, he was worried that people wouldn't cry at his funeral. So he arranged, as he was getting closer to death, he arranged to have captains, sort of famous captains, killed that were quite popular among the people. So at his funeral, that way it could guarantee that at his funeral people were crying. That's the kind of man he was. So Herod was furious when he realized that he he had been outwitted by the wise men. So Herod probably doesn't know the Holy Family has gone to Egypt. He doesn't know that. That's not what he's angry about. He's angry at the wise men because they outwitted him. Remember early on, he asked the, the wise men to return to him after finding the king of the Jews. The wise men came to him and they said, we, th- we think the king of the Jews has been born. Herod says to him, to them, go find out where he's been born and then come back and tell me where he is. That was his instructions to the wise men. But the wise men don't do that. They don't return to him. They return to their country a different way without reporting back to Herod. So Herod probably feels like he's been disrespected and mocked when they when the wise men choose not to return and report back to him. So he's furious, and in Bethlehem and its surrounding districts, he had all the male children killed who were two years old or under. This is a terrible tragedy. He has all of the people in Bethlehem who are the male children who are two years old or younger killed. Because he thinks that uh, Jesus is going to be among them. He wants to make sure that Jesus is killed. And he figures the best way to do that is by killing all the children around his age. Now, Bethlehem and the surrounding region, it's not particularly highly populated. Bethlehem itself probably only had a population of around a thousand people. Statistically, that means the number of boys under the age of two, it's probably only around 20 or 30 boys. It might only be 10. So it's not a whole lot of children who are killed, but it's, you know, even one is too many. So it's still a tragedy. It doesn't take away from how devastating it is. But this does explain why this particular massacre of Herod is not recorded outside of the Gospels. Because in comparison to some of the other things he did, he really doesn't kill that many people here. Christian tradition sees here when these children are killed, these are considered to be the first Christian martyrs, and they're celebrated as such in the church's liturgy. And he kills here all the children who were two years old or younger, reckoning by the date he had been careful to ask the wise men. What's going on here? What's up with the two years old or younger? This can be interpreted different ways. It doesn't necessarily imply that Jesus was two years of age when the wise men visited. That's not necessarily what's being said. Remember the question that Herod asked the wise men was, this is what he said to them, when did the star appear? He doesn't say to the wise men, how old is the child? He just says, when did the star appear? Now, most likely the star appeared two years ago at the, at the time we're seeing this narrative here. And Jesus probably wasn't born at the time the star first appeared. So let's keep that in mind. Jesus probably was not yet born when the, uh, when the star first appeared. So what did happen when the star appeared? Well, if we read the text carefully, it appears that when the star first appeared, that's when the wise men set out on their journey. And their journey is a thousand miles long. It's a long journey. So the star appears, they set out on their journey. We don't know exactly how old Jesus was when the wise men visited. Probably he's a few months old, 
That's what most scholars would say. By the time the wise men visited, he's a few months old. We also don't know how long the wise men stayed. We also don't know how long it took the wise men to get back. It probably took a while. The only thing Herod knows is when the star first appeared, because that's what the wise men told him. The wise men did tell him when the star first appeared, and that was around two years ago at this point. Given that, it's likely that Herod decided to use this two-year mark as a safe figure to go with. He's not saying that Jesus is definitely two years old. He's just saying that the star appeared two years ago. So he uses that as a safe marker. And also, he knows that children who are under two years of age, often they all, it's hard to tell exactly how old they are. So he uses two years as a safe point. He says that, well, the child is probably not older than two years. So let's say that all the children who are two years old and younger, let's kill all of them. Hopefully that helps you understand this verse. Verse 17, Matthew is going to quote another prophecy from the Old Testament. He says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. So this is the second time Matthew quotes from the Old Testament. And again, he's going to quote from a text which was not largely considered to be a messianic prophecy. He's going to quote from Jeremiah. And here, Jeremiah is not doing a prophecy. He's actually writing about a past event at the time that Jeremiah is writing. So again, we have a case of In Jeremiah's time, what Jeremiah says has a fulfillment in his own time, but then it has a later and greater fulfillment when Jesus is born. And this is what he quotes from in verse 18. He quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, which says this, A voice was heard in Ramah, sobbing and loudly lamenting. It was Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. So here, Jeremiah is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which he himself witnessed in 586 BC. At that time, many Jewish people and children were killed. At that time, the Babylonians assembled the defeated Jews from Jerusalem. They assembled them in Ramah, which was just outside of Jerusalem. And then they marched all the Jews from Ramah off to slavery in Babylon. So here, uh, Jeremiah talks about... uh, Rachel. He says it was Rachel weeping for her children. So this is Rachel from the book of Genesis, and she's used here as a great matriarch of Israel. She was believed to have been buried near Ramah. If you look at 1 Samuel 10 verse 2, it says that Rachel was buried near Ramah. So she's used here in the Jeremiah passage as kind of the matriarch who weeps from Ramah as she sees Israel in Ramah being carried off to slavery. Hopefully that helps you make sense of what's going on in the Jeremiah passage. Well, then Matthew sees an additional element here. He sees Bethlehem as a new city of sorrow because many Jews are killed here in Bethlehem. And Jesus, representing the young Israel, is carried away, just like Israel is carried away in the original Jeremiah passage. It's interesting to see how all these links are fulfilled in Jesus in greater ways. So the story of Herod killing all of the nearby children, it's meant to recall the story of the Exodus. God works in patterns. Just as in the Old Testament, the Pharaoh uh, slaughtered all of the Jewish boys. Well, here, Herod does the same thing. He kills all of the Jewish boys in the area. And just as Moses was saved from that slaughter, Jesus here was was saved from the slaughter by divine intervention. Here we see parallels between Jesus and Moses. In fact... If you think about it, Moses flees to a part of Egypt to avoid uh, Pharaoh's domination. Well, here, what does Jesus do? He flees to Egypt to avoid King Herod. 
here's a quote uh, from the Catholic commentary on sacred scripture for the Gospel of Matthew. I think it summarizes it well. The infant Jesus experiences divine protection from the rulers of this world because he, like Moses, is destined to save the people of Israel. So we see here Matthew portraying Jesus as the new and greater Moses. He does this all through his book. Jesus is the new and greater Moses. So that's the end of our text today. You can hear the next section of text, which is verse 19 to 23. That describes what happens when the family tries to go back to Israel after being in Egypt. So you can hear that next section of text on the feast of the Holy Family in year A. So you might like to go through the podcast archives to find that one, the feast of the Holy Family in year A. Let's now turn to the Catechism to see what it has to say here about this passage. There's a couple of references. So firstly, paragraph 530. This is in the Mysteries of Jesus' Infancy. The flight into Egypt and the massacre of the innocents make manifest the opposition of darkness to the light. He came to his own home and his own people received him not. Christ's whole life was lived under the sign of persecution. His own share it with him. Jesus' departure from Egypt recalls the exodus and presents him as the definitive liberator of God's people. So here we see the Catechism confirming that Jesus' flight to Egypt recalls the Exodus. Paragraph 333, this is in the section about Christ with all his angels. From the incarnation to the ascension, the life of the word incarnate is surrounded by the adoration and service of angels. When God brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Their song of praise at the birth of Christ has not ceased resounding in the church's praise. Glory to God in the highest. They protect Jesus in his infancy, serve him in the desert, strengthen him in his agony in the garden, when he could have been saved by them from the hands of his enemies, as Israel had been. So we'll leave it there for today. I hope you have learned something new. Please continue to tell other people about the podcast. Share this episode with them. Subscribe on iTunes or YouTube or wherever you're listening. And can I please request, if you've been listening for a while, please leave a review on iTunes. The more positive reviews we get, then the higher it will appear in iTunes and the more people will get to know about the podcast. Thanks once again. Hopefully you'll tune in again tomorrow.